Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of St. Mark, this is chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You all can have a seat. Mercy Jesus, shall we pray? Technology. Lord, you, um, you have gathered us, Jesus, to yourself. And it's your presence with us, Lord, wherever we are, two or three of us gathered. You are with us, and you are making things new and declaring them holy. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, now give us the grace of your peace. Still us, Lord, where we are distracted, where we are fighting, Lord, to hear or to be still. Take authority, Lord, that's rightly yours, and call us to yourself, that we might hear you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Welcome to church, y'all. It's so good to see you, so good to have you with us. Uh, my name is Ashley. I'm the priest and pastor here at uh, Christ the King. And for those of you who are visiting, uh, welcome. You've joined us on the first Sunday of Lent. This is um, the new, a new day marking uh, the, a new chapter for us. We've turned the page, now moving out of the season of Epiphany into what is known in the church as our wilderness season. This is a season of preparation as we get ready for Easter, which in the liturgical church anyway is not just a single day, but a, a whole season of thinking about and setting our minds around the resurrection. And so if we're going to have a season of Easter, feasting and celebrating and thinking about the resurrection, then the church in her wisdom has rightly called us to prepare, to get ready, to think about, to examine ourselves, make sure that our hearts and minds, that we are ready to take hold of the resurrection that we are in a position to even hear that gospel and that good news. What does it really mean for us, how we live? And so we spend these next few weeks leading up to Easter um, trying to do that, get ready, be prepared. Uh, similarly, we take our sort of biblical cues, this story or image of the wilderness, from the Bible, from the story of Jesus, which we just read. Jesus himself spent 40 days in the wilderness, also preparing before he began his public ministry. So if you like zoom out and remember in the story, Jesus is baptized and right after his baptism, the spirit drives him into the wilderness and then it's after the wilderness that he begins his ministry. Similarly, that moment in Jesus's life is recalling a former moment that happened many centuries before. If you've been here on Ash Wednesday, you've heard us say this. It just helps to get our bearings. Jesus is sort of reliving 
This moment also in Israel's life, in which the people of Israel also spent time in the wilderness, not just 40 days, but 40 years, of course. And similarly for them, it was also a time of preparation. They were called out of slavery in Egypt. They went to Sinai. And then from Sinai, before they get to the promised land, they spend this time in the wilderness, a season of like examination, temptation, confrontation, both of themselves and the slavery within. You know, you can leave slavery in Egypt. That doesn't mean you won't carry it with you. Egypt is in our bellies. Egypt is in our hearts, our minds, our souls. And so the wilderness was a time of purification, examination. How do we take authority, not just God over our enemies, as he did in the plagues of Egypt, but how does the Holy Spirit within us take authority over ourselves? And so Israel spends this time of 40 years. And Jesus will spend it to 40 days. I would submit to you that both of these stories, however, recall a story even earlier than that. The Bible's wild this way, y'all. The creation itself was, I would submit to you, a first Exodus moment. Jesus, not there, at least overtly or directly. But John will pick this story up in his gospel. He will recall the creation event in which there was this ball of mess, chaos, waters churning, and the Holy Spirit hovers over it, and then out of the churning waters, God delivers a creation. Let there be light, and there was light. So when Moses says all those centuries later, let my people go, we're meant to hear the refrain of Genesis. This is a new creation moment. God is delivering Israel out of Egypt in the same way that God delivered creation out of primordial chaos. Whoa! That's wild. It's almost as if there's a pattern of being born, finding God, losing God, going home. Being born, being found by God, losing God, going home. Over and over and over. And so if you would look at your life and say, hmm, that feels familiar to me too. I was born, found by God, lost God, <laughs> waiting to come home. If you could situate yourself maybe somewhere along that plot line and that story would feel at all familiar to you, please hear me. That does not make you a cliche. What that makes you is a sacrament, a signpost. Through your life, God is trying to tell the same story that God is over and over trying to tell through his people Israel, through creation, through his Bible, through his son, and through me and through you, which is that we were born, we were found by God, we are sinful, we lose God, and we find our way home. That is the story over and over and over and over in the gospel. Redemption stories, y'all, from cover to cover. You are not a cliché. You are a redemption story, having your origin in a very good God who is determined to make a good creation out of us. I think that's what this moment in the life of Jesus is about. I think it's a redemption story. And the reason that I'm making it a point to tell you that is because Lent for you must be about something, y'all. It has to be for something. What is it for? What is it about? 
It cannot just be about the fasting. It cannot just be about the strengthening of my own willpower, proving it to myself, proving it to God, proving it to other people. All of that is garbage. It gets you nowhere. It's for nothing. It's idolatry. What is it for then? It has to be for going home. It has to be for the freedom that I'm meant for, that I was created for. If God has thought it right to call me out of primordial chaos and then out of slavery in Egypt and then out of the wilderness to set me in the promised land, if God has thought me worth all of that, it is for something. What is my redemption for? A good creation, a kingdom of heaven that God believes in and that he loves, the me that I was meant to be, created to be. Lent must be in the service of that. That end, ultimately, which is what Easter is all about. New life, new creation, resurrection. We live, and we live to God. That's the good news of it. So here's the thing. This season, then, I'm meant to be preparing, examining myself, so that God can do the thing that he wants to do in me. That's what Jesus was doing. He went into the wilderness driven by the Spirit there, not to be punished for sin, not because he had done something wrong or made mistakes, but rather because he was going somewhere he had business to do, redemption to do. And that's true for you too. And I would also submit to you, I don't know what it is that God wants to do through your life. And I know it's so irritating to hear preachers say that all the time. God has a plan for your life. He does though. He does. Your life is for something in the same way that Lent is for something. It must be. And this God who is relentless in new creation, relentless in liberation, is always working to move you into his redemptive purposes, to align your purposes and his purposes, to bring them together. That's who he is. So I would submit to you, you can just bide your time in Lent, sort of waiting for the thing on the other side of it, which would be one way to go through it. Not an altogether helpful way, I would submit to you, though. Because the wilderness isn't just a time when we prepare for the thing that comes after. Actually, the wilderness, a lot was going on in the wilderness, both for Jesus and for Israel. Because it's, I don't know if you feel this way. Do you ever have the feeling that you're always preparing and never arriving? <laughs> I'm always about to. I'm always getting ready for something, you know? I'm always, this is, now is the time when we get ready for the thing, and then with this the thing never comes, you know, just we're always getting ready. So all that over here, today is all you have that you know is now. It's all you have that you know that you have is right now. So whatever God wants to do redemptively in you and through you is for right now, for today, and then it will be for the next day, and then the day after that, and then the day after that. There is no breath in your body that the Holy Spirit is not alive and active through. Do you hear me? He's never on pause. You're not on pause. There is something for you in this wilderness right now. For 40 days, we prepare true, in ultimate sense. But Jesus, every step of the wilderness, he was fighting a battle, gaining victory, gaining ground. Mark's gospel doesn't tell us a lot about Jesus' time in the wilderness. Luke does that. 
Luke gives us the deets. Mark, big picture. Mark wants you to know spirit drove him into the wilderness. Satan was there. So were the wild animals and the angels. It went down in the woods. That's all you know. And then he comes out. Luke wants you to know a little bit more about it. Luke is the one who tells us. Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness, leads him there, Mark says. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So here's the first thing to note. The Holy Spirit is the one who has led me into this wilderness, not my sin. Not my brokenness. The Spirit of God has led me here, and he's with me here. He didn't drop me off at the door like daycare. He's with me in it. He's with us in it. Jesus gets into the wilderness, and the first thing he does is confront the devil. Three temptations of Jesus he experiences in the wilderness. And what I want to submit to you is that these temptations is where we see the redemption story taking place. I believe it's meant to be a kind of clue to us about what God is doing, not just for Jesus' sake, but also for mine and for your sakes. Jesus gets into the wilderness, he confronts the devil, and does anybody remember what is the first thing that the devil says to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And before that, if you are the Son of God, it's meant, it's a cruel and purposeful question. Because if you'll remember the verses we just read, out of the waters of baptism, what does the God the Father say over Jesus? This is my Son, the Beloved, and with Him I am well pleased. And then five minutes later, the voice of the enemy in his ear, if you are the Son of God. Here's what I want to say to you. We have spent time. I've noticed in this lectionary, we cannot get away from the baptism moment of Jesus. It just keeps coming up over and over. As if God would like for some of us, I don't know who it is, maybe all of us, to hear, you belong to me, you are beloved, and with you I am well pleased. Satan's oldest and fastest trick is to come after your belovedness, y'all. Because if he can get you there, he's got the rest. You are beloved. You are known. You are loved. You don't have to prove that. You cannot lose that. You are beloved. And you have a battle and a struggle because you have an adversary who would very much like to divest you of the certainty and the security and the peace that that belovedness is meant to give you because he is a thief who has come to steal and kill and destroy. And that's where it starts. You are beloved. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread, he says. And then after he tempts him with his appetites, he takes him, where, do you remember? Shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you are the son of God, bow down and worship me and I will give you these and all of their glory. He tempts him with materialism, the delight of his eyes. And then he takes him to the temple mount, to the tippy top, Presumably while people were there worshiping. And he says, if you are the son of God, 
Jump. Throw yourself from here. Why? Because the angels will catch you. And all will get to see your power, God on your behalf. What a display. It would be just flex a little. They'll love you for it. Ego. These temptations that Jesus experiences are not coincidental or accidental. They're purposeful. I want you to recall the first time humanity encounters a spiritual adversary was where? The Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent. The serpent comes up to Eve and says, Did God really say not to eat it? Did God really say you would die? You won't die. This is verse 6 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desired to make one wise, to make one godlike, she took of its fruit and she ate. Our appetites, our materialism, our egos, y'all. This is us. Nothing new under the sun. From our very first confrontation and battle with our enemy all the way, all those centuries and generations later, to Jesus meeting him again in the wilderness, it was not just for him, and it was not on accident. Your Savior was re-entering into your story in order to redeem it and set it right because that's who he is. He recalled, called to mind our greatest fall, the moment of our woundedness, and he put himself there on purpose so that he could make it right, so that he could win the battle that I could not win on my behalf. And then give me the strength that he knew and knows that I will need. That's not just Bible magic. That's meant to tell you something about your life now. And I think it's this, or something like this. When we go into the wilderness and we have to confront our appetites, our sin, our patterns, our shame, all of that stuff, y'all, is most oftentimes rooted in a wound of some kind. Your addictions, straight line, to a wound in your story. Your addiction to stuff, to materialism, to constantly needing to feel like you look good and are better than ever, straight line to a wound in your story. Your obsession with power and pride, straight line to a wound, to a fall, to a break in your story. What if... The point of the wilderness was to tell a redemption story on your behalf. What if the point of the wilderness was for you to have time with Jesus, for him to ask you the question, for you to be still enough, long enough for him to say, why does gluttony rule over you? Let me help you remember what happened to you. What lies have you believed about who you are? What happened? 
And can we hear it? This story, this moment, as the promise of his victory over it. Because the reason every single time that Jesus is tempted, how does he respond? With a Bible verse. I happen to believe that's not just because Jesus speaks exclusively Bible. But probably there was a point, yeah? Which is this, I believe. It is a reminder to me and to you that God's word will be over my life the last word. Amen? God's word over your life will be the last word. It is the most true word about you. You are beloved. This is my son, my daughter. She is beloved. With her I am well pleased. No matter the fall, no matter the break, no matter the sin. And so if an enemy has made a home in a wound, this is the place and the time where we deal with it. We get to say to him, not because of our authority, but because of the authority we have in Jesus, we get all the way behind him, peek our little heads out and say, yeah! He said it. He said it. He did it. You don't get to tell lies about me anymore. I am not an addict. I'm beloved. I'm not a failure. I am beloved. I'm an heir of this gospel. I belong to the kingdom of heaven. Get behind me. That authority is his, and he in his mercy and grace has given it to you. So for the next few weeks, you have an opportunity to examine your appetites, your materialism, your ego. Not because it's new and novel, but because it is as old as time. Where do you need victory that you do not have? Where do you need healing that you do not have? Can you name the lies that you have believed? Here's how you're going to do that practically. You're going to have to take space, y'all, to be by yourselves and to be with God. There's no substitute for that. You will have to do it. Ask him. Get out there in the woods and ask him. Let the Holy Spirit do the thing that only he can do. What else are we here for? Amen. Holy Spirit, we commit this time to you, Lord. And we proclaim, Jesus, your victory over it. You, Lord, are making all things new. Now, today, right now, starting right here, the authority is yours, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.